when you're forcing an unreality, it ruptures and destroys relationships. And the most precious relationship, I think, for most people is those family ties, those, those parent-child bonds. And what Dead Name articulates, and I'm thankful that the prison issue showcased it in, in Scotland, just how insane this all is. But the most painful thing that I think happens, perhaps even more than the medical damage, is that relational rupture. And when transgenderism is many things, but it is a medical scandal and a family fracturing scourge. Hello and welcome to the Alan Film Scoop. I'm Anne McElhaney. And I'm Phelan McAleer. It's February, Anne. It's February, but it's very, very cold in Los Angeles. Yes. That's why we're wearing all these clothes. We're, we want our money back. Inappropriately dressed for very Southern so. California. We have uh, a very, very busy show today, by the way. Yes, we yes. have. Yes. When we're recording this, the news is fairly fresh. That our friend James O'Keefe has resigned uh, from Project Veritas. Um, Extraordinary. Uh, you know, a huge, huge story. Uh, Project Veritas, everyone has said that Project Veritas will be nothing without him. Um, he, he is Project Veritas. Yes. He founded Project Veritas. It's his whole idea. It's his whole idea. But also, journalism looks really easy from the outside. An undercover stings Huge. 10 times the yes. length of that. Yes. Uh, I, I, um, I had a sit listening to Patrice Cullors talk nonsense for two hours uh, in a hostile environment. They go and they meet people for days and hours in, in, in undercover. Pfizer ultimately is thinking about mutating COVID? Well, that is not what we say to the public. No, don't tell anyone this story. You probably shouldn't tell anyone. You probably shouldn't tell anyone. We're exploring, like, now, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate ourselves so we can predictably develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, that's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating viruses. James always said to me, I, I've been a friend of James's for 10 years. James always said to me, he really, his his biggest desire in his life is that there are lots of Project Veritas's, right? That other people do what he does. He he wanted rival organizations, not rival, co, co, other organizations in that space. He wanted that. He wanted to train these people up. The fact that there's no one that has come up in a similar way is a very obvious example of it's very, very difficult yes. to do. It's impossible, almost impossible to take someone like James to drive an organization, to have the foresight, to have the, the and leadership. Now his board, and so his board have, have gone against him, have turned yes. on him. Yeah. And, and, and have maybe, made a, he's, maybe he's not a perfect human being. Maybe he didn't run a perfect organization. No, anyone who's ever worked in the newsroom, as we have, these are these are rough places. Yes. These yeah. are it's, a rough, t- it's a tough environment. It's a daily grind yes. and it is tough. And, yeah. and tough very, very stressful. And very, obviously, very and stressful. you know, so if he said a few inappropriate things, whatever, you know, right, great, get over yourself. You know, this is, a, yeah, it's a tough, it's a very tough environment. And, but it's and very, James, my, my problem is James also had a strategy. Settle nothing. Fight every lawsuit. Yeah. Fight every criminal Don't apologize. charge. Don't apologize. Take everything to the Supreme Court. Uh, and my concern now is that the board will settle these lawsuits and give these people victories and claim and allow the false claim that Veritas released dodgily edited videos. They never did. They always released, released their rough cuts, which no news organization does. Yeah. Right. Uh, they, there's no evidence that they ever misleadingly edited a video. Anything. None. No. Zero. Uh, and my worry now is that the board will settle because they want to uh, 
settle the legal affairs and the financial affairs. The board will settle and that will allow people to claim that James is well, we an unethical t- journalist. So we are, it's a devastating day for journalism. Yes. It's a devastating day for America. It's devastating for James. Dreadful but James, James promises to rise again. I think James, I was going to just say that. I think, that, you know, this isn't the last you're going to hear from James O'Keefe. He will come, he will come good again, but it's, a, but it's very tough for him. This is, he built this organisation. He founded this organisation. He built it and now they've made it, basically, obviously, I, my understanding is they've made it impossible for him to continue yes. and that's why he's resigned so um, sending out lots of love to James we, we, he's, he's just a heroic figure um, and as you say Phelan there's, there's only one James O'Keefe um, but unfortunately, by the way, James wanted more James O'Keefe. Yes, you know, yes. and it's and this is not an encouraging thing for other James potential James O'Keefe's to find this kind of thing happen. So yeah, look, look, you can be, you can run a news organisation where it's uh, two people, uh, a man sitting at a microphone. You can be uh, a, a shock jock, and and you know, you can either be even be Joe Rogan and interview someone for three hours, right? You know, that is not uh, and that's stressful enough, by the way, right? You can you can. You can be a shock jock. You can be Joe Rogan. These are stressful jobs because you have to get the right guest. You have to do the right research. You can't be wrong. But like, try and think about. There's a st- these people are covering something up. That organization, right? Um, we have to get in there, get into someone's confidence, get an intern in there, get get someone to meet them, someone for dinner, secretly record it, make sure they're safe. Uh, make sure that the, that the recording works, that there's enough backups, make sure that we have legal coverage, that we're not breaking the law. This is rough. But, you know, so all these conservative organizations that run news divisions or whatever, they, it's called journalism. They just rewrite and mm-hmm. say, look what the Daily Mail did today, even Fox to a certain extent. Look what the uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said today. Isn't that awful? You know, that's a, that is a type of journalism, <coughs> and we've all done it but creating original content. There's almost none of it in the conservative space. That's what we want to do. That's what we do. We create movies, we create plays, we create podcasts. It's it's tough to create original journalism. It's time-consuming. It takes leadership. But it matters. It takes drive. But it really matters. It's all that matters. And the loss of James O'Keefe is a huge loss to to progress in America. Uh, But James will rise again. And uh, I'd like to be by his side, so I'm gonna when I finish this, I'm gonna give him a call, and hopefully we can work together. Uh, I'll, I actually, funny, he asked me one, a few times to go undercover for him. I go, people, he says you'd be surprised. He says I have really famous people uh, undercover, and they, no one recognizes them. People are people are less well known than you think you are. So maybe you'll see me in one of those um, undercover videos sometime in the new James O'Keefe, uh, whatever he creates after this. All the best, James. Uh, Seal strong. Take care. We're going to be talking to our friend Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post about all things trans contagion, and it's really, it's really important to. It's, I, it's funny actually. I just want to say this about the trans issue. It's one of those issues that you just don't want to know anything about, but you have to. Yeah. Yeah. We have to know and we have to be involved. And, and no better person than Brandon. And no better person us. than Brandon, who has really devoted an enormous amount of energy and time to this issue. And um, we should be really worried. Or should we should should we be really worried about UFOs? Yes, we should, but not for the most obvious reason. Yes. And water, water everywhere, but not a drop for your lawn. See what I did there? Anne? Mm-hmm. Bit of bit of poetry. Mm-hmm. Ancient Mariner, I believe, Coleridge, or was it Shakespeare? Uh, the left are coming for your lawn. They hit suburbia. They hit you. They want you to live in a ninety-nine story uh, apartment uh, beside the motorway, and they hit your lawn. So we'll be looking at that and. Uh, 
you. And rewriting history, the left apparently think it's a great idea. That's, that, a that, and that's, idea. that's what we should be doing. And the Seattle riots, we, we'll bring you a lesson in getting away with mayhem. Actually, maybe getting away with murder, actually, you know, when you think about it. Yes. And we have a totally inappropriate recipe for this week, um, but I'll tell you why it's okay. So let's go over to Brandon now and hear more about the trans contagion that is taking over the world. So we're very, very happy to be joined now by Brandon Showalter, our dear friend from the Christian Post, who has become an accidental, I, I think, I don't know, you can correct me, but somehow an accidental expert on this trans contagion and has appeared recently in the documentary Dead Name. We want to talk to him about that. He also has a book coming out quite soon. He'll tell us the details about that. Um, and we just want to hear his thoughts on what's. we've been talking earlier in the show about things that have been happening in the UK crazy things going on in the UK, lots of crazy things going on in the UK. But um, but let's talk about what's happening here. And let's start by asking Brandon about this documentary, Dead Name, by having a look at the trailer. Let's watch the trailer. If you want girl parts and you don't have them, you can do special surgery where they turn your penis inside out and there's a vagina inside. Preschool sends out a letter to all the parents announcing one of our students is now Rosa and we would love you all to come and celebrate and support her. And he was four years old. I didn't even know if he knew what a pronoun was. I go to the daycare a week later uh, to, to drop him off and it's Rosa is written on the entrance sheet where I have to sign. Rosa's on his cubby. It's everywhere. And they would just look at me and listen. They would say, Helen, you should really learn to accept this and celebrate it. And I'm like, celebrate what? Celebrate that my child's gonna be put on hormones and his penis will never grow and he'll never have a normal sex life and he'll be on drugs for the rest of his life. This was when she was like 15. Um, I remember being up in her room and she said, I'm trans and I need a new name. Somehow I got a text from CVS. Your, your prescription for TES is available. She's like, it's mine. You can't take it from me. You can get this by making a phone call and having a teleappointment. I mean, there was no psychological evaluation. There was nothing. Where does our species go if, if you can cut off your body parts like this? Sean had set up an appointment with an endocrinologist at the hospital to try to get hormones. I'm looking at it as, hey, this kid just needs to explain to him, hey, he's had a lot of traumatic events through his life, you know, losing his leg. We had an older son that died of a heroin overdose when he was eight years old. He went through the loss of his mom, being diagnosed with cancer again. I mean, we, I went through all, I said, all these things have to have a big effect on him. When I had the appointment with the psychiatrist, I was just blown away when she turned around and told me that He's definitely transgender, um, and you are an unsupportive, abusive father. I'm trying to keep him alive. Brandon, talk to us about this extraordinary well, documentary. Well, and welcome, by the way, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Anna Phelan. I appreciate the opportunity to come on. Uh, yeah, uh, most people, when they see the trailer, they feel particularly horrified and aghast, especially that poor dear young boy at the beginning, little Jonas talking about transgender surgery on the genitals. I mean, what four-year-old 
child should know a single thing about this. And here it is. He's talking about it knowledgeably. Um, but the film Dead Name uh, by Broken Hearted Films on deadnamedocumentary.com is about how transgender ideology fractures families. Um, I think we're seeing a rash of states now start to pass laws to restrict gender-affirming care, which is you know experimental medicalization of puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and body disfiguring surgeries, this horrible medical scandal. Some states are finally taking action as this is being pushed. But what has gone, I think, unexplored, but it's been like my life on the front lines of this issue is hearing from families who've been ripped apart by this. And so I was approached in 2021 early uh, by a filmmaker who wanted to give parents a voice, who she'd seen a, she'd seen a speech that I'd given uh, in, I think in Louisiana the year before, and she asked me to be a contributor. And what I explain sort of how it has been for me journalistically engaging with these families and I've lost count how many moms and dads have, have called me over the years if they found my work at the Christian Post just desperate to save their children from irreversible medical harm and the indoctrination that's happening in the school systems and on social media and everywhere. Uh, it, so it was just kind of this thing where she just had to um, she wanted to see if she could give the parents a voice and humanize the issue, uh, aside from all of the legislative considerations that are now finally starting to happen. But I think the movie, which came out right before Christmas, has come at the perfect time because of this greater discussion that's finally happening in society and in state legislatures, that kind of thing. But it's very much a visceral gut punch, parents being torn apart, and it shows three families who have been shattered by this. Well, what's the documentary called and, and who directed it and where can you get it? Dead Name. And for those... Dead name, um, deadnamedocumentary.com. It used to be on Vimeo, but they censored it on January 23rd, uh, and it was just pulled down abruptly with no uh, with no warning. Just poof, went gone. It was called hate, hate, hateful conduct, hateful policy, hate speech, something like that. Not an ounce of hate in it, of course. But dead name documentary for a small fee, um, and that's that's where it. And, and, and who's the director? Taylor Reese of Broken Hearted Films. Um, it is it is so powerful. So can you tell us, Brandon, about, I mean, I think that the stories are incredibly sad in this documentary, but particularly the story of Bill, um, who's, ch- I mean, just, can you just tell us that one story? It's, 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 um, it's heartbreaking. And I know you've said to me before that every time you see Bill on screen, you're just like, you, you, you begin to tear up. What an extraordinary story. Can you just tell us about that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, the film does profile three families, Helen, Amy and Bill, all of whom have uh, just, they're connected by these common threads of how their families were ruptured when this transgender dogma uh, invaded their homes uh, unexpectedly, suddenly. Uh, But I think Bill's story, they're all heartbreaking, but Bill's is probably the worst. And I don't want to give too much away because I do hope that everybody goes and sees the film because you need to acquaint yourself with what this ideology does. And it needs to be removed from these kind of esoteric philosophical discussions about transgenderism and whatnot, because there's a real human and family cost. But Bill's son, Bill's son, who survived a number of traumas uh, throughout his life, among them the death of his mom, the death of his older brother, childhood cancer, and then got diagnosed with uh, stage four colon cancer as a, I think it 18 or 19 as a late teenager. And then when he went off to college, uh, of course, he's traumatized from all of these other tragic events in his life. Um, And he hated his body because he he lost his leg due to the cancer he had as a child. So this this kid's just been through much, I think, hated his body. Became convinced by a bunch of, 
you know, transgender activist roommates, I believe who were girls, who convinced him, who helped convince him that he was himself transgender. Uh, and Bill really didn't know how to take it because he's clearly thinking that, you know, his son's just clearly troubled in light of all that he has endured. But all of the institutions, and this is typical when families go through this, undermine and marginalize parents with concerns. Bill tries to ask questions. They go to see a psychiatrist at the hospital. Um, and the psychiatrist basically tells him if he doesn't, you know, support his son as his daughter, that he's unsupportive and, and abusive. And Bill's just trying to navigate this as best as he possibly can because he's just been walloped by this unexpected announcement. And then there's these all of these medical implications where, and keep in mind, he's got uh, a cancer diagnosis. So uh, there, this won't give too much away, but there's a psychiatrist on camera where you get the feeling that she's actually suggesting that modifications can be made to a cancer-stricken you know, young adult to go on hormones. Which will, which will then ignite cancer, but like it, it just shows you, uh, thankfully, and in Bill's case, and I won't give away the ending, but an endocrinologist was able to put a stop to doing any, there was some sane doctor there who was able to stop it, doing anything hormonally with Sean uh, for that part. But it, you, you just see how layer upon layer, institution after institution was willing to just bulldoze any of bill concerns and that's typical for families it's, it's funny you should talk, talk that i'm just reading um graham linehan who who wrote father ted he has a, a newsletter come out and he just highlighted an article that's in the daily telegraph in britain uh today and it's about the tavistock clinic and uh, there's a whistleblower there and uh, she in that book and she points out that you know Cl clinicians, clinicians, inverted commas, mm -hmm. you know, quotation marks, ignored evidence that 97.5% of the children seeking sex changes uh, at Tavistock had autism, depression, or other episodes or other problems that might explain their unhappiness. You know, the book also claims that children referred to the to the to Tavistock were far more likely to spend time in care, to have a father who is a registered sex offender, to have lost a parent or or through death or separation, or to have five more associated features such as an eating disorder, anxiety, depression, self abuse, abuse, self harm, or bullying. So I, I you know, just like uh, that young fellow there, you know, with who lost the leg and cancer and all that, they uh, they they're. they're, they're it must you must only affirm this one aspect of their troubled life, mm -hmm. and it's the most destructive of of all. As opposed to getting some counselling, a bit of antidepressant medication, whatever is suitable, counselling, uh, summer not, camp. You know, they're not. <clears throat> it seems like they're not underlying. You know, any of the underlying conditions are not being addressed at all. Everything gets lumped into this one thing, and they immediately start. Uh, transitioning people without actually treating them for, for mental health difficulties. It's, it's really horrific. And I think, I mean, do you see any, I mean, is there any hope out here? Do you see, I mean, uh, the medical establishment seem to be like in unison. Are there any bright sparks on the medical landscape? I think there are some bright sparks. And what Phelan articulated there is very typical. I've, I've seen the re there was a clinical, uh, excuse me, a, a thorough review done by Dr. Hillary Cass in the UK about the Tavistock Clinic and the shoddy record-keeping practices and the inordinate amount of young people who are on the autism spectrum being treated in this way. That's the same, same as it goes here. You're right that the medical establishment, the academic medicine types here and our all professional societies 
captured by this dogma. Um, and yes, gender confusion, dysphoria, body dysmorphia, whatever you want to call it, it is a psychiatric comorbidity. I've, in all my years of covering this issue, I've never seen anybody, not one, who, who is you know, presenting with some kind of psychological distress over their body, over their gender, confusion, whatever. And there always, there's always some sort of other cluster of mental health ailments or conditions or psychiatric comorbidities. So, you, and if you treat those, the gender confusion almost always resolves on its own. So th this, this is like, I don't think there's, this is just my personal opinion and I'm not a psychiatrist, but I don't think there's a single person who just has gender dysphoria and that's it. Uh, there's, there's other things going on in the person's life. Bright spots, yes, there are some, thankfully. I mentioned a moment ago that there are states now getting the clear read that this is so damaging and harmful. Uh, as Europe is backing away from this experimental treatment protocol, some U.S. states are now taking uh, Florida, the state of Florida did a medical board review and has restricted this. Conservative states, Arizona, Alabama, Arkansas, uh, recently Utah and South Dakota, and we might, say, we might soon see Nebraska and Oklahoma do something similar. Uh, but there was a whistleblower recently that I thought is the biggest, brightest bright spot out of Washington University of St. Louis, where in the free press, Barry Weiss's publication, she detailed in granular detail the horrifying lengths to which gender clinicians would just push, push, push and pressure parents into doing this to their kids with no oversight, just horrifying. I totally recommend that they read this whistleblower's report in the free press because I just, I wept when I saw it because it's like, finally, all the stuff that we've been screaming about for years that I've been writing about we're hearing it from someone who identified herself as a queer woman married to a trans man and has politics to the left of Bernie Sanders say, yeah, it's all true and probably worse. So that's the, the, the truth is finally we've punctured through the, the media, the mainstream media blockade who's been lying through their teeth about this for years and mainstream coverage starting about the medical issues. Uh, but with Dead Name, I think Dead Name is kind of a forerunner film because it's actually showing uh, the family fracture and the, the social rupture, which will take years to unpack. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we're, we're going to be dealing with the carnage of this for a long time. Well, it's, you know, it's a bit like the um, satanic abuse controversies of the 80s and 90s, repre repressed memories. I mean, there are families that are still destroyed because of that. And no one's really been held accountable for for planting false memories. And now this is this is kind of this is false. It's not planting false memories. It's plant, planting false syndromes in people's minds that can only be cured by this surgery. Uh, and you know, and you're right that gender stuff is seen as the solution to all these other problems. Somehow you just immediately affirm, and that's going to it's a panacea. It's going to take care of all your other mental health struggles. But it's a lie because no one, no one, no one has ever been or ever will be born in the wrong body. There certainly are people that are troubled in this way and I have compassion for those folks. Uh, it has to be a torturous nightmare. I know people who have struggled and their families have struggled where their children were very confused about who they were, about their body. Um, and let's get them some counseling and some help. Look, God, I, it, it has to be hard. But at, at the root, it's all a lie because no one can prove that you actually have been born in the wrong body. How can you possibly, it's a, it's a, it's a metaphysical claim that just, yeah, but it's not, you are your body. Your body is you. And it's not That's the it. first time, but it's like, you know, what, what strikes me or struck me recently is this isn't the first time that science, you know, that all of the wise people and all of the institutions haven't yeah. come together and coalesced right. and agreed on a really bad, yeah. bad mm -hmm. 
piece of, uh, you know, b- a bad idea, like eugenics, basically. I think the last time we had something similar to this, and Phelan's right about the, the repressed memory was quite a similar thing, but eugenics is a very good example of a similar craziness. And all the right people, all the best people agreed on eugenics, you know. Um, Wendell Holmes, you know, uh, three generations of imbeciles is enough. I mean, yeah. you know, that was the Supreme Court. I mean, this is well, so this is we, we have history here. We have we have precedent here for complete madness. I mean, actually, Brandon, something struck me over the weekend. I saw this on Twitter and well, I didn't fact check it. So maybe I shouldn't be saying it. But it's very similar. The person who won the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 1949 won it for inventing lobotomies. Oh, yeah, I saw yeah. this. Right. Lobotomies, the Portuguese. Yeah. What was yeah. his name? Moniz, Igad Moniz, I'm yeah. not sure of the so pronunciation that, that, you, there. In 1949, you... You're correct. That, that was a Nobel Prize winning dis- idea. D- discovery. <laughs> that if you yeah. cut somebody's brain off it. And the, the list of things that it cured was unbelievable. You know, sleep yeah. disorder, depression, uh, oh, you know, yeah, anxiety, yeah. all these things. Um, forgetfulness. Al- oh, it cured Alzheimer's as well by removing part of your brain. So, I mean, also, uh, do you remember in the 80s, uh, ulcers were caused by stress, you know, and the medical establishment loved that so much. And I think, you know, uh, people loved it as well because it's kind of a status symbol. And there's one guy who said, actually, no, I think it's caused by bacteria. Boy, did he have a tough time trying to get people. And it's not the only one as well. The other one that was, very, that you know, and the, the worst problem with one of these bad ideas taking hold is it's very hard to loosen it and to get rid of it. I mean, another very good oh. example, less serious, but still, you know, uh, serious, was the idea that fat was really bad. All fat was bad. And so yeah. they removed yeah. fat from all kinds of foods and in, and in, they replaced it because fat is obviously very tasty. They replaced it with sugar, yeah. which actually is the killer. Sugar is the problem. But if you look in supermarkets today, everything is low fat. It, they continue to have that. Yes. In fact, my complaint is that Costco, it's impossible to get yogurt that is full fat. Are you listening, Costco? Yeah, Costco. You've let me down on that one. But, you know, obviously in this situation... When you've lost Anne McElhinney, you've lost America. This is it. Costco. But this situation, Brandon, what do you have advice for people who, I mean, the story, as you say, that we that we featured there from the trailer for Dead Name, where you have this tiny little person who's four years old. And I've got headlines all over the place, by the way. These stories are everywhere. Four and five year olds being exposed yeah. to this ideology. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, is the only solution for parents really to homeschool? Uh, no, because I know even some homeschoolers that have gotten mired in this. <laughs> I mean, I, obviously, I, I know parents who have helped their children desist from this kind of confusion. And what they did was withdraw their children from public school and sever all of the influences in their child's life. But you can't think that you're just going to escape if you live in a red state in the countryside and homeschool. I've seen even people who took so many measures. Now, is it worse in an urban center in a blue state? Yeah, probably. But this is everywhere there's Wi-Fi. Correct. I mean, you yes. get your kids off tech, I think, is the big, I mean, a lot of parents I know have said that it all sort of down, started a downward spiral once they allowed their children to have a phone uh, because of how they got engaged on Tumblr and YouTube and all of these other forces that are coming. You, you mentioned the ice pick lobotomy, you know, medical scandal. What's different about that and today with this medical scandal, and it's one of the worst of all time in my estimation, is that this medical scandal is marketed via tech and through schools as an identity. And so it's not only a healthcare issue, like young people become consumed with this notion that this is who they are. I don't know of a medical scandal where it played upon that psychological desire for identity quite like it. And that's why it's got such an iron grip on so many minds, because if you've got this emotional 
kind of attachment to needing hormones and surgery in order to be your true authentic self, that's a powerful grip that you have on a person. And, and then you, and then it's then hooked on to other, you know, LGBT rights and such. And so it becomes politically, you know, complicated. Meanwhile, the people who are trying to blow the whistle and saying, this is not a medically ethical thing to do to exogenously pump a young child full of untested hormonal agents or surgically remove physically healthy body parts. I mean, since when did that become okay? The question that I'm often asked is like, don't doctors take a Hippocratic oath to first do no harm? That is, for all intents and purposes, dead as a doornail because they're actively harming young people who are vulnerable, again, often autistic. And not only are they harming those young people, but they are indoctrinating them to believe that they, when they cut their breasts off, they can post those pictures of their scars on social media. Uh, and it's this kind of yeah. exhibitionist thing. Yep. And the harm is not seen as harm. And so even making the harm visible, which is what we as journalists try to do, becomes extra challenging because there's this brainwashing that has been happening of the whole of society where people are trained to see harm as liberation and beautiful. Everything's so inverted. Um, but, you know, I think parents have to do absolutely everything they can to, you know, tell the truth to their children on a daily basis, tell them there's nothing wrong with their bodies and that this dogma has infected their institutions. They have to be very sober minded and explain what's happened, but keep them away from this stuff because it's confusing children not only who are in the throes of puberty, and that's a confusing time for anybody, but especially if they're very young, when children are just at the time where they would be, you know, be put on puberty blockers or something, or, or just before that, they're just learning their, their cognitive sort of reality testing abilities. They're still forming those. And so this social transitioning, this gaslighting and this indoctrination of children, it's abusive on so many levels. It's very funny what you know. You, you just really struck something there when you said you know accepting your body. I mean, the left went from fat acceptance to cut your genitals off, yeah. right? I mean, you know, the, I mean, fat acceptance is madness, right? But you know, I can I can see a a, a, a rationale for it, right? And uh, but it's, there are there are health risks associated with being. Uh, overweight, uh, as I know myself uh, personally, uh, diabetes, um, COVID was particularly sore on people who are overweight. You know, so the fat acceptance, you know, harmed people. But but I can see the, I can see the rationale for it, and and there was they tried to invent a medical rationale for it. It's, it doesn't it's wrong. It is it is harmful. But you know there are many more harmful things. But they went from accept your body. You know the way it is. You, this is who you are. This is you know to to order to be your true self. You need to cut your genitals off and your breasts off, and it's like uh, uh, and take take hormones and take every kinds of untested medical treatment. It's and but no one in no one in the in the far left is, is saying there's something not right here. Yeah, because yeah. it's a, it's a it's a mania. It's it's true. There are radical feminists and some lesbians that talk to me a lot who are raising the alarm, but. I'll say that I think the political dynamics, and I won't bore your listeners with any of my personal opinions about this, are quite complicated. While, yes, it's Republicans who are pushing back and putting forth some of these bans on this stuff at the state level. Um, I, I mean, I hear from a wide variety of people in Enfilam where the Democrats who are very opposed to this and they can't. And the Democratic Party is, of course, championing this. But there are also some very craven Republican 
things that they, they're taking money from big pharma and you, you're just like, what's really driving your, you, you just start to wonder about sort of all of the forces that work here that when you talk about the political aspect of it, obviously there was some, you know, uh, there was a bright um, spark in Scotland recently where, you yeah. know, the, oh, the, most, the most leftist possible, you know, first minister in Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, who has resigned, has resigned because of this, because her situation was untenable. Well, let's, 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 explain, let's, let's explain what happened yes, there. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give a background of it because I've been following Miss Sturgeon. Um, so... Progressive Scotland is one of the most progressive parts. Is the most progressive parts of the UK because basically they don't have to pay for anything because all the money comes from London and they they get more money every year because they're going. We're going to go for independence next year unless you give us more money. Oh, thank you, give us more money. But anyway, so they become uh, more and more progressive and they brought in this gender recognition bill where you, if uh, the only thing was you you could say I am now a woman. And three months later, you have all the access to all the women's places and all. Actually, I think rights. it was. I think it was quicker than that. Actually, I think yeah. all you had to do was say it, and it was true. And then, and then, when this came to this came, well, to, well, yes, so, big, the prisons issue was especially yes, well, but, yes. but this went. Uh, the UK government, central government, intervened and said, "We're not allowing this." Yeah. to progress any further because it goes against our equalities, whatever it was. They, they just go in no way, right? And Sc Scottish nationalists, they're like a militant movement. They control all of Scotland. And they were delighted because, A, it showed them to be progressive against the Conservatives. Uh, and it showed also that they need independence to be truly, to carve their own path. And that was fine. And, of course, the media were craving and they don't have a backbone and they wouldn't explain uh, they were, you know, the Scottish nationalists were saying, oh, no, it's, you know, there's all these safeguards. And there were none, of course. They were making it up. But so finally, uh, somebody in, in the media, I think it was someone in The Spectator, uh, ran an article about a couple of, a, a rapist uh, who had decided. Let me, let me tell, let me tell that story because I think it's worth, it's worth hearing in, in detail. The strange case of Isla Bryson. Um, a Scottish man who identified as transgender was found guilty of raping two women and decided after he raped the two women and was caught that he would then identify as a woman so that he could be housed in a women's prison. And the Scottish authorities agreed with that. Yes. Um, and this guy, by the way, Isla Bri Bryson, who previously was Adam Graham, 31, began identifying Stop as a woman. Stop dead naming him, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I'll dead name that guy until he's dead, basically, by the way. Um, can we help? Yeah, exactly. But what, and, and I don't want to go into all the details because I want to hear what you have to say about that. But, but, you know, that he basically, you know, he was referred to a feminine, you know, in the court, during the court, I mean, this is the madness that's a part of this. During the court uh, proceedings, he was always referred to using feminine pronouns in the court and in the UK media. And, you know, I, I, and he was, and they, and they talked in the court about Graham raping these women with her penis. Okay, so I, I just want to, so we, we were talking there with Nicola Sturgeon. So, so, that, so that news emerged. I'm just giving everyone who doesn't know this out there the background to this. That news emerged. And Nicola Sturgeon was initially going, look, that's the way of the world. The, 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 the backlash became so prominent. And then a couple of other cases of rapists in women's prison emerged. Yeah. And she was just caught like a deer in the headlights because no one had ever asked her a tough question. And suddenly... Yeah, and yeah. suddenly, uh, suddenly, the 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 media then gone. Oh, this is this is interesting, and they started. She, she then backtracked and moved mm -hmm. uh, moved 
uh, Isla. Isla from the woman's prison into the men's prison uh, after defending, you know, because trans women are women. Don't forget, this was her yes. big mantra. Trans women are women. So then the reporters started asking her. Every time she went anywhere. If trans women are women, why is... Why is Isla... In a man's prison now, shouldn't she be? If, if, if so, you you were you were watching this, Brandon, and what were you thinking? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's just when it, the ideology is forced to meet with reality, and there are people actually force the issue, it always collapses. Yes, and, and, and th- this is what happened with her. Back. This is what happened with her. She yeah. then was. Her life was made in misery. And uh, she, Nicholas she, Sturgeon. She, Nicholas Sturgeon. She had no answer to this question. It was going to keep going. And, of course, these rapists, of course, the word got out. And all more and more of them were declaring themselves as women get, yeah. and to get into women's prisons. And Nicholas Sturgeon eventually, as you say, it collapsed. She had to. Re- she resigned because it became, a, 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 it became an unsquareable circle. Yeah. That's exactly right. And it, but, but you see this when, whenever unrealities and this it, become forced, you, you have to force an unreality because no one in their right mind would go along with any of that. Um, and that's the ideology is so insane that you have to enforce it with either very sneaky and stealthy tactics, which the activists have done, or just with the brute blunt force of government dictate and the law. Um, but the, the prisons issues, we're dealing with that here, too, in California, where there's actually a lawsuit that's pending where the, the Women's Liberation Front, which a feminist group, and it was the feminists helped out by J.K. Rowling in Scotland fighting back against that. And so the political dynamics are indeed quite complex. But with California, they're, they're suing the corrections department in California to say that forcing women to be housed with men in prison, you know, is constitutionally with cruel and unusual punishment. I think it's the Eighth Amendment and other other amendment stuff. Like, not only does it defy that, but it's you know the Geneva Convention pro- pro- prohibits that on those grounds. But when you're again, the most important point to make here is that when you're forcing an unreality, it ruptures and destroys relationships. And the most precious relationship, I think, for most people, is those family ties, those those parent child bonds. And what Dead Name articulates, and I'm thankful that the prison issue showcased it in, in Scotland, just how insane this all is. But the most painful thing that I think happens, perhaps even more than the medical damage, is that relational rupture. And when transgenderism is many things, but it is a medical scandal and a family fracturing scourge. We're going to wrap it up right now, Brandon. But can I just ask you at coming to the end of this interview, I know you have this book coming out. Can you just tell us, tell people how they can find you, how they can find the book when it comes out? I know it's coming out soon um, and you're going to, uh, how can people, how can people find out about it? Can people pre-order it now? No, that that unfortunately isn't possible. Go on ahead, Brandon. Yeah, it's an ebook. Um, I believe we're calling it Exposing the Gender Lie. It will be check the Christianpost.com. We will be making news about it. I've co-authored it with a guy named Jeff Myers. It's um, a very succinct read about protecting your family um, and how to the, the transgender industries, and it is an industry, the industry's ideology, how to protect your family from that, and how to understand the ideology, the manipulation and the warping of language. Um, so it's, it'll be, I do recommend that you go see it. I'll be probably doing some more press about it. ChristianPost.com and all my social media at Brandon M show. And if you want to sort of see how, what that book sort of is giving a voice to human and, and sort of from a humanizing perspective, 
do go watch the documentary film we've been talking about. Yes. And, Dead, and, Dead and, Name. Yes. And, Dead and, Name Doc. DeadNameDocumentary.com, small fee to watch, but very, very much worth your while. DeadNameDocumentary.com. And your book again That's is right. just for one more time? Exposing the Gender Lie. Stay tuned. We'll be, Stay tuned. I'll be oh, making yeah, noise exactly. about that. And we'll put a link up when and, we get and it. And when it comes out, we'll be tweeting it out and, uh, and, get it, and sending, it out, sending it out on our email list as yeah, well. Yeah, we will. So. Thank you so much, Brandon. Really appreciate your Thank time. You, Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. So I thought that was a great interview. And I think what's I think one thing that I wanted to mention, actually, that I think is also quite interesting about that case that we mentioned about Isla, who ended up um, Adam, um, serial rapist who ended up in a women's prison. His mother was interviewed, by the way, which is interesting. His mother, his mother was interviewed and his mother said never, not once, not for a millisecond, not for any years of all of the years that she raised him. Did he ever once say he was trans? Um, And she was you know, she was being really honest and I, I really appreciate that, that she did that. But the, the yeah. madness, you know, this madness that, that, that Brandon talked about, it's everywhere. And actually, we have another small little story that I wanted to bring people. And this is from the NHS mm-hmm. in the UK, which, you know, which touts itself, by the way, as like, you know, this, this fantastic thing. World class. The world class, you know, it's fantastic. Oh, God, the NHS and it's all, you know, it's really what it's really the you know, the measure of what should be yeah, yeah. everywhere else in the world, right? Yes. It's, like, oh, yeah. it's like the whole world is not, is no good because we're not like the, N- that we don't have the NHS because the NHS is this free system of medical care for everyone in the UK. Well, I've got some news for people who have a brain. Here's what the NHS are spending their money doing and they've just done like a massive campaign. And here's the question and this is taken from the NHS website. Should you got to really concentrate on this now, by the way. So please try and just concentrate. Just close your eyes and concentrate while I ask this question. Because it's difficult. Should trans men have cervical screening tests? Okay, you got that? Trans men, here's from the NHS. Trans men, and non, trans men and non-binary people who have had a total hysterectomy to remove their cervix do not need cervical screening. Trans men and non-binary people who still have a cervix should have cervical screening to help prevent cervical cancer. However, if you're a trans man, sorry, if you're a trans woman, sorry, or non-binary person assigned male at birth, Mm -hmm. you do not need cervical screening as you do not have a cervix. So you heard it first here. So we just thought we'd I bring you that. I never thought about that. No, I know. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Just... I, I love it, you know. It, this is the NHS. I mean, you know, you're meant, you're meant to take that from the NHS and then go to the NHS and ask them, do you think that your lump on your breast is benign? You know, you're meant even to take worse, them. Actually, even worse, and I said this to a relative recently who, who's in the medical field. You know, when they when they become completely unserious like this it's yes. hard to take them seriously about, about anything seri- like so you're supposed to go to your doctor now and say That's look I'm, I'm a bit concerned about the vaccine actually oh yeah, yeah. you know yes. right which is a genuine concern uh, I'm a bit concerned about the vaccine what do you think and the doctor is after telling uh, uh, someone yeah you, you know spending a lot of money sending an email 
saying if you're a trans man, don't. Oh, it's more than an email. A trans woman, but no, your doctor's probably you know writing to his clients and his people saying if you're a trans woman, don't come because actually for cervical screening because you don't have a cervix, and everyone's going yeah, and then you're going now I'm going to take you really seriously and ask you to tell me honestly when you when you go through this political nonsense, this this and take this social contagion seriously and take this rewriting of the of of and this. Completely bastardization of language. Yes, yes. When you do that, you then expect me to tr- think that you are a serious uh, prognosticator about whether the vaccine is good or bad. And by the way, this for is, me, uh, you know exactly. Um, and and by the way, this kind of segues perfectly into the next story, which is about the balloons, all the UFOs we've been seeing. You know, if you have, and so basically, my question, my 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 point about this is. You know, should we be worried about all these UFOs that have been spotted over the United States? Uh, yes, but not for the not for the obvious reason. Um, we should really be concerned because it turns out, looks very likely that after the the, the first the Chinese you know spy balloon after that the other balloons that were Chinese, spotted basically. apparently basically were hobbyists' balloons basically. Yes. Um, and uh, but that didn't stop the combined strength and intelligence of the U.S you know, military operation spending a half a million dollars shooting them down. Well, look, and, in the f- and in the case of the first one, missing. So how worrisome, that's what I would be worried. I would be very worried about no, the fact that no. first of all, they can't, look. that they just can't shoot the balloon. And secondly, that they have, that they can't identify flying objects, basically. You're wrong. Um, You're wrong. I'm, Joe wrong. Biden, I'm wrong. Joe Biden, when he became president, took an oath of office to oppose all balloons Foreign and domestic. It's definitely in the oath, oath of office. Yes. I, jo- I pr- pledge to oppose all balloons, all oppositional balloons, foreign and domestic. Yes. So, And you know what I love about this story? I, I really love about this story because the, the New York Times, because, you know, they're just they're just crazy for news and they just they hunt down news. And I can just see how this story developed with them. You had somebody uh, and I was that person, by the way, you know, in a newsroom thinking, God, I'd love to just get out of here. Just love to go somewhere. So one of their um, journalists got to go to a place called Dead Horse, Alaska. There's a place called Dead Horse. There's an actual place called Dead Horse. I I wouldn't mind going there myself, by the way. Permanent population, 25. Is there a place like Seriously Ill Pony? No, just Dead Horse. Um, And basically, you know, so they sent sent the intrepid reporter was sent off to Dead Horse to find out what was going on. Nice job. Nice job. Um, And basically... In February, though, but anyway, nice job. Interestingly enough, despite the fact that the town has a population of 25, it also manages to have a hotel, but that's because of the oil workers that are there. Uh Oil workers left for their shifts. And of course, this right, you know, the writer's all delighted with herself, you know. Oil workers left for their shifts while it was still dark and they would be back in the evening for early dinners and early bedtimes because, of course, it's a very short day. Uh And Nancy Bremer, a receptionist at the Aurora Hotel, home to the only restaurant in town a buffet style assembly line that serves ahi tuna steaks and cheeseburgers nice. said people here were forced were focused on work and not concerned with any looming threat of an object shot down over ice if we find it she asked should I call you yes but anyway <laughs> the, the, the people of Dead Horse have not found the, the, uh, the flying object and I think they probably won't even more alarming but, what's, but, I, but also just to finish the point though what the, the interesting other point here that's also disturbing is they've now all decided to pack up and go home and no one's going to be looking for any of these flying right. objects so we're never really going to know what it was but I think the likelihood was that it was a hobbyist's balloon basically um, to me to me you know so yeah so they've just decided ah whatever you know it, it doesn't let's matter let's go home now let's go home now 
now. You know, and by the way, according to the New York Times, like the reason for going home now is it's awful, uh, it's awful cold here and the days are short. And it's like, you're the military complex. You're the combined military complex of the United States. And I'm just thinking, like, you know, in the face of a real threat, which yeah. I think there are plenty of them. Yes. This is, this is who's representing us. And you know what I bet they're doing and spending tons of time on? Diversity. I bet they're spending loads of time diversity. on trans language and inclusive language and getting their pronouns and right. And diversity training. Oh, God. And Tell us more, uh, Phil. No, but I, I also thought, like, so up until now, they were unable to detect balloons, foreign balloons coming into American airspace. Isn't that Because they hadn't the radar calibrated. Isn't that, yeah. Yeah, so they changed. Like, yeah, and then, but then, and then, of course, they overcalibrated the machinery, and then they were detecting everything, including right. party balloons and the whole lot. Yeah, yeah. All right, film. Tell us about the good news about the the good and bad news about maybe there's no good news about the lawn situation. There's no real good news, um, you know. But uh, MP, this is from NPR, and done in that jaunty NPR way. Ah. Lynetta McElroy stands outside her home on a tree-lined street in South LA neighborhood of Lemert Park, where she lived since the 1980s. Lemert Park was known for its beautiful lawns, McElroy said. No fences and you could go to one corner yeah, and you no could fences. see just about the next corner. It gave a community feeling. I've always loved this area. It took a while to get a home in this area, needless to say. Um, Lemert Park has, has long been a centre of black Los Angeles, a testament to the possibility of the of American dream. Then they do this thing, of course, it was all racist and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, Lemert Park is this kind of posh black part. Actually, it's not upper middle, upper middle class. But... Uh, now, because of the water shortage. Oh, there's a right? water shortage. Yes. Mm. Even though it's been pouring rain. Pouring rain. For two months. So that so just for those of you who are not from here and don't aren't in touch with the madness, it poured rain like it poured rain at a wild rate to the extent that the ice pack is crazy good. And yes. by the way, one of us is going to be going skiing and seeing that ice pack. And hopefully. we'll be bringing photographs, hopefully, ah. at the end uh, for, for next week. Why would it be that all that water would fall and they still would have a drought? And the answer is... Because all the water runs into the ocean. That's the, how the, they've organised it here. They're uh, so smart. And, and this is a desert, by the way. We're actually in a desert. And so actually collecting money, to, collecting water would be a great idea. But also they're never, ever going to um, capture it because, well... And they can't build any more reservoirs because environmentalists won't let them. Because that would affect the yeah. the smelt. Yeah. That was, well, actually, funny. That's a, no, no. The reservoirs would the reservoirs would capture the water, right? But because that would involve, um, you know, putting water over plants or whatever that. But also, funny you should mention this. So, so the real the reason I want the reason that really caught my attention the one line. Like, and of course, this is typical NPR, right? Yes. There's all this stuff oh, oh, about yeah, how much water is falling. They've the story. And, yeah, and it's like, well, Southern California cities are already doing a lot more with a lot less. And this is the line. The city of LA actually uses less water than it did in 1970, despite its population growing. And I'm going like... I understand that. They have ter- because they've terrorized people. They've terrorized people with the drought, and they've said to people, "Don't, don't, don't wash." Basically, and people, a lot of people here are into that and listen to what they're told to do, and they probably aren't washing. Well, you took it. You took it. But during the last drought, remember, we were told to dro- drop our usage by eighteen percent or something, and everyone took it really serious. I think they did drop it by twenty five percent, and. Uh, then they then they just uh, increased the prices by twenty five percent to make up for the lost revenue. Yes. Um, so. Everyone's going, why did I do that? Why did I become part of this movement? 
But I, I want to know more about how we're losing. I mean, we're using less water than we did in 1970, despite the massive population growth of L.A. Um, but actually, then you go over to the L.A. Times and Gavin Newsom is, is seeking to waive environmental rules in the Sacramento-San Joaquin River uh, Delta in an effort to store more water in reservoirs, a move that is drawing heated criticism from environmental advocates who say the action will imperil the struggling fish population. Oh, dear. That's the Delta smelt. That's the Delta smelt. And of course, you get all these fact checks saying this thing with the Delta smelt doesn't exist. It does. They release trillions of water every year so that the Delta smelt can feel feel not offended and not under threat. And it's like... We, madness. 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 But there's loads of madness around. Another piece of madness from this yes. week was Roald Dahl, brilliant Roald Dahl, who wrote all those wonderful books for children, um, is the latest target of the attack of the Wokarati. Yeah. So several of the most iconic characters in children's literature, including Augustus Gloop, Oompa Loompas and Mrs. Twit, are being described with more inclusive language after publishers made edits to some of the author's books. Puffin, the prestigious children's publisher and the Roald Dahl Story Company, which Netflix acquired in 2021, I love this line, Yes, worked with sensitivity readers to review Dahl's texts and give them an update so his stories can continue to be enjoyed by all today. The edits generally focus on removing potentially offensive language related to gender, race, weight... Mental health, vile and violence, according to the Independent. Can so, I just can I just give you a definition of what a sensitivity reader is? Oh, oh, God, please! I, don't Sensi- use bad language now. No, no, me. it's actually someone. <laughs> it's even worse than that. It's someone who will never create anything. Yes, a sensitivity someone, reader. Someone who will never create a work of art. Someone who will never be, won't be read in five minutes' time. Never mind five years' time. And by the way, unless they go in and destroy other people's work. And some of these, some of these changes are just completely crazy. All of them so are crazy. They're all, of course, they're all sorry. They're all crazy. Augustus Glump from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is now enormous and not fat. And in an and in a gender neutral revision, the Oompa Loompas in that same book are now described as small people rather than small men. And I love this one, Phelan. In The Witches, where 59 changes have been made, um, a line was added to a paragraph that explains why the witches are bald underneath their wigs. And here's the line they've added. There are plenty of other reasons why women might wear wigs. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Like as though some child, by the way, would be really concerned about that. And by the way, that's when you read books to children. That's when you have the whole conversation and the child is allowed to ask questions and have the question answered. But, you know, this is this is the mad world we're living in. And, and, it, and it's just one mad story after another. And from there, I want to go on to this, what's happened in Seattle. Yeah. This is incredible what's happened in Seattle. So... Obviously, we remember, you know, the autonomous zone and the craziness that yeah. happened in Seattle after the George, after the, the BLM riots and all yeah. of that, right? And huge, a massive amount of damage and all of that. Yes, yes. And now... Well, there was that autonomous zone. Correct. That, what was something? CHOP. The, yes, the, the, CHOP. I think it was called CHOP. The autonomous so the citizens Capitol of, Hill organized protests. Exactly. Chop. The citizens of Seattle have paid dearly for the city. And this is from, I think this is from the, the, Wall, this is from the Wall Street Journal. Sorry. The citizens of Seattle have paid dearly for the city's government's embrace of lawlessness in the summer of 2020. And now taxpayers are likely to pay still more. Details are sparse in the settlement of, the, you know, whatever. So all these people who had... Uh, businesses destroyed yes. um, 
are now suing the city. And they're yes. suing the city because the city didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, the city did worse than do anything. Facilitated. The city facilitated it. They brought in toilets, by the way, and they they helped them build basically barricades. I mean, extraordinary, you know, yeah. what, what went on. But um, there's two things that, I, that, that struck me in this story, but the really extraordinary thing that happened. Um, oh, yeah, the, I have to do this. So the, the Wall Street Journal, notable and quotable section, uh, which is I always love, is where, you know, they have this writer who goes mm-hmm. through the newspapers all over the country. And so he's looking at reports from... Uh, from the the Seattle newspaper. What's it called, Philip? The Seattle, what's it called? Yeah. From the the Seattle Times, yes. right? And a, the, the reporter is called Mike Carter. And here's a beautiful thing, That's right? Because yes. Mike Carter is writing about these new suits that have been yeah. um, launched by, by these businesses. So, and this is from Notable and Quotable. Mr. Carter's report continue, contains, continues. And some readers may wonder why this next paragraph starts as it does given the way it ends. So listen to how this paragraph starts. While CHOP was mostly peaceful, remember mostly peaceful, there were instances of vandalism and sporadic outbreaks of violence, (laughs) including fights. Who who hasn't? eh? An attempt to torch the abandoned police precinct and at least four shootings that claimed two lives of two teenagers, including a 16-year-old boy whose death led to the end of the protests. Mostly peaceful. Mostly peaceful with two dead children, right? Mostly peaceful with two dead children. And if you don't think that's bad enough, it actually gets worse. So what's recently been discovered through these court cases is, because obviously they've done discovery and they've been asking the police Mm. what did they do, and now what they've discovered is that the city, you know, elders, if you like, or the city, the people in charge, the people in charge at the police and the, ple- the people in charge at the, government. at the government were in cahoots with each other. And who knows what they were saying, but what we do know and what the court is really angry about is that they deleted these city elders, these city, you know, uh, officials, deleted thousands, thousands and thousands of text wow. messages where they were writing to each other during the time and deciding. So all the high ranking officials they deleted the texts and the judge who is not impressed at all I'm trying to find his name here Thomas Zilly who sounds like a great guy he is really angry about these deleted texts and he's saying that he is going to instruct the jury when the jury are trying to make deliberations about costs for these um, plaintiffs that he's going to instruct the jury you know to really crucify the city because of the fact that he said it's pretty obvious to me that the deleted texts are a cover-up yeah. of what they were doing. And what they were doing was they were in collusion with the rioters. Mostly is what they were doing. Rioters. With the mostly peaceful, we're killing two murderous, two murder, boys. Yeah, where they killed two, two boys. And by the way, and just to finish up on the Seattle story, because people might wonder, what's, what's, what's Seattle like now? Maybe it's all good now. <laughs> Guess what? So, Sweetness and light. Of course, mostly peaceful. And again, this is, a, this is from a different story, by the way, in the Wall Street Journal. Um, June 2020 began Seattle's descent into so- disorder and there is no end in sight. The Seattle Police Police Department released its annual report this month. It shows that the violent crime rate reached a 15-year high in 2022. Seattle recorded 52 homicides, 52 by the way, last year, a 40.5% increase over 2019. And by the way, of course, by the way, if you're in a place where the police are helping the murderers, protecting the murderers, and by the way, very kind, bringing in port-a-loos, 
yes. for the mur- for the murderers. Yeah. And you might be thinking, you know what? I was thinking a bit about maybe murdering somebody I don't like. Well, you'd feel like, you know, what? I'm in the right spot for that. Yeah. I'm in the yeah. right spot. And I'm yeah. thinking of a very good friend of ours, Philip, yeah. who moved from Seattle. Um, and I'm thinking, you got out, you got out just on time, you know? Um, yeah. what, what, an, what an extraordinary thing. What's next, Philip? What's next for us? I think we're on to the recipe. Yes, we are. Oh, my God. So the inappropriate thing about the recipe, by the way, can I just say, is that clearly, as you probably all know, um, and if you're watching this on Wednesday, and by the way, for those of you who write in the comments and say that you, the Wednesdays are made up for you, that Wednesday's made up for you because of the fact that we are alive on your screens. Yes. Um, this Wednesday, obviously, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Now, the recipe today is for a very nice cocktail. However, this cocktail was not made on Ash Wednesday. It was made in... Advance of Ash Wednesday. Yes. But even that, obviously, that doesn't completely exonerate me, really, does it, for having a cocktail during Lent. However, and for those of you who don't know, Lent is a Catholic thing. It goes on for 40 days. We, we're, we're approaching it on Wednesday. It starts and we yes. have to work out what we're giving up. But we've got whatever we tell do. Us, tell us what you're giving up. If you're a Catholic and you're giving up something for Lent, I think maybe some Protestants do it too. If you're giving up something for Lent, let us know in the comments section. And I think um, you'll remember we've talked about Lent before on this podcast, those of you who are very faithful listeners. And we have between, see, and, you know, as you know, Phelan and I are, you know, love across the barricades. I'm from the south of Ireland. The Republic of Phelan is from Northern Ireland. The, you know, bitter and, twisted, bitter and twisted uh, statelet. And what we've discovered, interestingly enough, because there's a lot of cultural differences. And one is there's even cultural differences among the Catholics. Apparently, these ones in the north of Ireland take Sundays off. They take Sundays off from Lent. Well, we never heard the like. It was available to us. We We could take Sundays off. The only thing we ever did in the South, in the Republic, was you can take off St. Patrick's Day, which usually falls during Lent. And so you can take that day off and have a few pints if if alcohol is your thing. Um, I always think, uh, it reminds me, I always smile um, remembering my father who was not a big drinker, but would maybe have a couple of gin and tonics on a Sunday and he would talk about it like it was a huge thing. You know, we might have two gin and tonics. He gave up alcohol for Lent, which of course was no big sacrifice at all. What yeah. he should have been given up, because everyone knows the thing that should he should have been given up, sugar, because sugar was his problem. Now, I want to do this cocktail anyway. Yes. So, And I would say to you, and uh, the other way that I can exonerate myself from doing this during Lent is that you'll have the recipe for after Lent. Yes. <laughs> so it's something to look forward to for Easter and you can buy in the alcohol. And buying in the alcohol itself actually is quite expensive. And I do want to explain that the one advantage, even though that buying in the alcohol for this cocktail uh, might seem like an awful lot of money is you'll get an enormous number of cocktails out of it, by the way, because yes. the, the quantity is small. So here's what it is. The the cocktail is called, and again, seems very inappropriate for Lent, by the way, it's called Naked and Famous. Mm. <laughs> um, and what it is, and it's kind of a riff on another po- cocktail called The Last Word, which I think we did before yes, on, the, did. On, the, on, the, on the podcast. And The Last Word is a prohibition cocktail. So this one is a riff on that. And what it is, is it's equal parts. And you'll see Phelan is making this cocktail for me today, which is fabulous. And you, if, we look, if we look at the screen now, basically, so it's equal parts mezcal, Aperol, Yellow chartreuse. I couldn't find yellow chartreuse, so I used green chartreuse and uh, lime juice. So mezcal, aperol, chartreuse and lime juice. First of all, you're going to fill um, your cocktail shaker with some ice and you're going to just use, you know, I'm I'm using three three quarters of an ounce of each of those. I think I'm hoping to get three quarters of an ounce of each of those. You're going to throw those in there. You're going to give it a lovely shake and pour it uh, up into your cocktail glass and it's delightful. And enjoy, and we will see you next week.
Mm. Okay, bye. Thank you. Bye.